The Guardian. Hello, I'm Hugh Muir, and we start this week's show with Nathan Akehurst. I'm 18, I attended Holland Park School, a comprehensive in West London, and I'm going to be reading History and Politics at the University of Oxford from October. He's standing outside the West London Free School. After a lot of hullabaloo, it's about to open. I'm here this morning because I disagree with the principle of free schools and the free school model. I went to a comprehensive school which was very strongly integrated and accepted people regardless of background and was has for 50 years has been committed to a universal model of education. Whereas free schools could easily sound the death knell for social mobility. And there's a real concern that you know they're, they're channeling millions of pounds away from projects which could be used to fund existing state schools. With kids back to school... And with 24 free schools opening, we'll be looking at the impact free schools have on the education system. So I'm sitting in the hall uh, of the new West London Free School. You can see a lot of people still filtering in, the room's filling up fast. There's some Latin writing under the West London Free School logo and um, Latin is a subject they'll be pushing here and a subject the majority of students don't get to learn, subject that I guess still marks you out as a member of an elite. And there's not a problem with pushing Latin, I wanted to learn it myself, but that could, that could come at the expense of pushing of a opportunity for non-academic and other um, subjects outside the conventional curriculum. One of my favourite stories about Boris um, is that when he was a child, his ambition was to be world king. <laughs> he said to scale that right back and uh, <laughs> sit, sit, sit in front today of, of the humble mayor of London. But I think that just goes to show that it is only by reaching the impossible. <laughs> uh, I think it's a most fantastic achievement. I know, of course, that uh, I know Toby very well. I know that he will already have written a, a rueful uh, autobiographical bogus self-deprecatory account <laughs> of his struggle, of his struggle to uh, get to this moment, shortly to be made into a Hollywood movie. <laughs> how to find schools and alienate I mean, on the surface, uh, just now, at the opening ceremony, it seemed absolutely lovely, if you, and if, you know, it would be if you didn't know the background situation behind free schools and the West London free school in a wider context. And yes, an incredible amount of hard work has gone into it, and yes, a lot of individuals are dedicated to the project. And what some don't realise there is that this school isn't necessarily about social mobility. There's no guarantee of that whatsoever. And in fact, the opening of that plaque just now by Boris Johnson could well mark the end of 50 years of universal state education. My name is Dennis Charman. I'm the NUT Secretary for Hammersmith and Fulham. I do think, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because this project did start with a group of parents who were trying to deal with an issue in Ealing. Um, we've had similar things with other people from uh, people who've thought they wanted to set up free schools in this borough who've now moved to other boroughs. And you, you feel that, that this what's happening is that people are setting themselves up and saying we have a solution we don't know where the problem is but let's go and find it and we're just wandering around looking for where we can uh, settle down and solve whatever the problem is the education landscape in Hammersmith and Fulham is outstanding uh, our secondary schools are all good or outstanding all of them bar none our school leaders in this borough have raised our schools to the levels that they are not out of competition from from other schools but because of their commitment their professionalism and their expertise and at times 
backed by the council who've given them the support when as a school they've needed to get through certain bottlenecks but it's it's outrageous to imply that there is a problem with the leadership and quality of education in our schools that setting this up will show them how it's to be done we don't actually know how this is going to work out we wish them well but we have no idea if this is going to work 5, 10, 15 years down the line. And we've had heads here who've put in the 5, 10, 15 years to get our schools to where they are now. So the man behind this uh, West London Free School project is Toby Young. I mean, he's, he's become sort of an ambassador for the Free Schools project overall. And I'd like to hear firsthand from the horse's mouth, if you like, um, a response to my concerns about the Free School model. So I'm going to try and track him down. So I know this is a very proud day for you and your colleagues, but I mean, just as a, someone who's been through the comprehensive system in a school only, you know, bus ride away from here, uh, I wonder, are you concerned that the effect um, this school will have on other schools in the area potentially? No, we're not. Um, I think that's a bit of a red herring. Um, I think uh, we're in the midst of a population boom. We need hundreds of thousands of more primary school places and more secondary school places, particularly in this part of London. Uh, so there are enough pupils to go around. Um, but we've been particularly careful in the way we've designed our admissions policy. Uh, we're sourcing pupils from a five-mile radius, precisely so. We don't just take pupils in the immediate vicinity, which might endanger the surrounding schools. So we've bent over backwards to make sure we don't disrupt the local ecology of admissions. And I think there's such a great need, such a huge basic need for more school places. I do think that's a red herring. But surely, I mean, I mean we do need to focus on ensuring you've got the strongest secondary schools in the area existing. And after the, um, the Government Act of Building Schools for the Future project last year, and then proceeded to hand £15 million over to this school, and in this sort of economic climate we're facing it and this times of austerity, don't you think that money could have been better invested in other schools in, sorry, other schools in the area? Well, I think given the acute need for more school places, the government's priority has to be on creating those places uh, because otherwise there just won't be en enough places for children to go to school. And um, had a father here earlier of a young girl, an 11-year-old girl who lives locally and hasn't been given a place in secondary school this year and is at home, he said, right now crying because she hasn't been given a place. So I think the government's priority has to be to spend what money is available on creating new places rather than refurbishing some of our existing schools. But I think uh, if you look at how much it has cost, you, you mentioned the figure of 15 million, we don't know exactly how much it's going to cost because we're not at the end of the process yet. But if it does end up costing 15 million, that's roughly half what it cost the last government to set up a new secondary school under the BSF programme. Take the Hammersmith Academy, which has opened uh, um, quite close to here. A city academy set up under the last government, a four-form entry school just like ours, 120 kids a year. That costs 36 million, which is more than double what it's cost us to set up this school. But on, on the note of social mobility that we touched on, um, the, I, I mean, could you confirm or deny the statistic? Apparently, in the area, there's a school meal eligibility rate for schools, free school meal eligibility rate of around 31%, here at 17%. Well, we don't know the definitive figure yet because um, we're still waiting for the data to be sent across from all the primaries that our children have come from. They've come from 58 different primaries. So we're still collating that data. And I'm not just saying that because I think it's going to be an embarrassing number and I want to kind of keep it quiet. Uh, we think roughly a fifth. Uh, will be eligible for free school meals. Um, and that's, that's actually, less it's, it's less than the borough average, but it's higher than three of the local authority maintained schools in Hammersmith and Fulham. So if you, if you measure us according to how we're doing relative to the other schools, we're roughly in the middle. We're leaving Nathan at the West London Free School now and travelling a couple of miles up the road to Chiswick Community School. Quoted Clara, I sunt at 
And what's this? Sounds like Latin to me. The subject Toby Young is so keen to offer to his students. What do they make here in Chiswick of his new establishment just up the road? My name's James Whiting. I'm deputy head of Chiswick Community School. Uh, this school is very successful. We've had our best A-level results ever last year. We a third of the grades were A's and A stars. Um, we have maintained significant improvement in GCSE results over the past uh, three years too. The money comes with the students. So if we lose students, if we're not full in a particular year group because of other schools opening up, obviously then we will lose money. But it does seem strange at a time of, of, of cutbacks to, to be opening and spending loads of money on new schools. Competition always results in winners and losers. Uh, if you're going to have losers, I suspect those schools will be in the more deprived areas, taking in the more, the, the more difficult and challenging intakes. Um, I think London education has uh, improved massively over the past three years. It's the most improved region of the country. I don't know the figures, I don't have them to hand, but they, they, GCSE results, A-level results have gone up in London, and that has happened because schools have collaborated, not competed. Um, my name is Abigail Lefebvre. I'm 17. I'm head girl of Chiswick, and uh, I've been here since year seven. Well, in politics, we had a, we've had good old debates about the West London Free School and Michael Gove's plans for academies and these parents' schools to be set up. And I think, I think there's a danger of taking the highly academic students from up a comprehensive school like mine and putting them in there. And then we're, we're left with, you know, lower achieving students. And if that's a way of creating competition, I don't see how it's balancing out. Almost, and I think in, in a comprehensive school you're exposed to diversity, different sectors of society, where as in a West London school it seems you're only exposed to the middle class, because that's what I, I think that school is representing. I think the overall impression amongst people of my age um, was the school is almost borderlining on a private school, even though it's not supposed to be. We think that, um, like, who's holding these schools accountable? Because they're not being held accountable um, to the local authorities. So they're kind of unelected, unaccountable. Who's, where's the balance in that? And a lot of us, we didn't really suggest any new ways to improve education, but we think education is improving anyway, regardless of these free schools and academies that Gove's trying to set up. So I think if we leave it how it is and carry on improving our teachers, you know, working on the national curriculum, getting it to, like, to a perfect, perfect stage, then we're good to go. The views from Chiswick Community School. And here in the studio, I'd like to welcome Jeevan Vasagar, who's The Guardian's education editor, Alistair Smith, National Secretary of the Anti-Academy Alliance, and Mark Lehane, a teacher who's set up Kempston School, which is a free school that's just open in Bedford. Thank you for coming, gentlemen. Uh, let me kick things off with a quote from the Education Secretary, Michael Gove, who's been saying many things uh, in recent days. Uh, one of the things he said is that, uh, and I'm quoting you here, too many children are being failed by fundamental flaws in our education system. In spite of years of investment, the situation is worsening. Children from disadvantaged homes are still falling behind. By freeing up teachers and trusting local communities to decide what is best, our reforms will help to raise standards for children in all schools. So, fundamental flaws in the education system, Mark Lehane. Why are free schools the best way to fix this? I don't know that I would necessarily agree that there are fundamental flaws in the education across the board. We've got so many great, outstanding schools and practitioners out there already. The question is, is there a sufficient diversity and variety in the kind of schools out there such that we can find a good school that matches the needs of every child? 
Um, but what's so wrong with the system? What's so long with, wrong with working, say, via a local authority? Um, that, that means you're not able to, to get to where you need to um, via the system as it is. Yeah, fundamentally, we've got a system that's based on the idea that students should, by and large, go to the local school in their local area. And what that means is, unless you, have a partic- you happen to live in a particular area that suits your particular child, you don't have a choice in the kind of education that your child would have. And that's probably holding back an awful lot of kids from doing as well as they could and we, are, we don't try and deprive or deny that choice to wealthy people in this country who do have the choice in terms of where they move to or the kind of independent fee-paying schools they send their kids to. And for me, this policy is just an opportunity to broaden out the choices that wealthy people have to uh, the rest of society, in particular those who have least choice at the moment, those from the most vulnerable backgrounds. So, Alistair, this is the fix, or at least one of the fixes, or is it? Well, there's no evidence that choice drives up standards. This is political rhetoric. Michael Gove's discourse of derision, saying that there's fundamental flaws in our education system, goes against the evidence. Actually, the vast majority of schools are good schools. Um, Educational standards have been improving. I know the PISA data shows fluctuations, but the real evidence about improving schools rests on... I'll quote you from the McKinsey Report 2007. It says the quality of an education system cannot exceed the quality of its teaching. And Michael Gove is pretending that the answer to our problems is to change the structures of education, to privatise the system, to introduce choice, when really what all the evidence suggests is that we should be focusing on proving, improving the quality of teaching and learning. And therefore he's letting down a generation of children rather than um, improving their standards. And you know, it's a bit rich coming from Michael Gove saying that... Um, you know, he's got, he's, his policies are going to turn around the education system when we know what the market does for society. Look at the financial system, look at what's happening in a market-driven economy, and suddenly we're now told that a market-driven education system is going to raise standards for all. Actually, it will lead to widening social segregation, as the report um, at the weekend showed from Sweden. The Swedish government now recognises that their free school experiment has led to greater social segregation. Well, so we're going to talk a bit about that in a moment. Yeah. But Jeevan, um, can I just quickly to ask you to address the the point that Michael Gove often makes? He has this phrase, doesn't he, the beacon effect, that um, if you have a good free school in an area uh, where the other schools are underperforming, that but free school will force the other schools to raise their game. Is that likely to happen, do you think? Uh, yes, I think there is some evidence that... Um, introducing uh, a good new school and competition between schools can raise standards. So if you look at Labour's Academies programme, the research that's been done on that shows that not only does it raise standards for the kids who are in those schools, but actually has a beneficial effect on the schools around them. And that's partly a sort of competitive effect. Those schools want to do better, but also partly about collaboration that uh, the schools sort of tend to share expertise and and, and all the kids do better. Um, My question about the free schools programme, really, and I think there are some schools, parent-led secular organisations like Mark Rohanes in Bedford, even Toby Young's, which I think may have good consequences. I'm just worried about the number of uh, former private schools that are coming in and rebadging themselves under this programme and the very high number of religious organisations that are getting involved. So those private schools rebadging themselves, that isn't really what... That, that wasn't the, the original intention, was it? Well, I, I was always led to believe that this was about social justice. I don't understand how taxpayers paying for private schools is anything to do with social justice. But I just wanted to question Jeevan's point about the academy facts. I mean, the only piece of research that I'm aware of that suggests this is the 2011 report from Machen and Vernoit from the LSE, which is itself open to great questions. I mean, we've asked questions of Machen and Vernoit, which they haven't answered about the 
the data that they provided. The government's own report, the Price Waterhouse Coopers um, five-year pro um, survey of academies, found nothing of the sort. It said there was insufficient evidence to show that academies were a model for school improvement. So, the there's an assumption here that the data suggests that academies drive up standards within those schools and in the schools around them, but it doesn't fit the facts, actually. Take Margate, uh, the, uh, was it, the Marlow Academy. Um, the, you know, academies have failed as well as succeeded, so there's no... Ev- well, I've not seen any decent evidence that they're driving up standards across the board. I'd love to know where Jeevan's getting his evidence from. Mark, l- let me quickly ask you, um, what research did you do before you um, decided to open your school in Bedford as to what the impact might be on other schools in that local area? Actually, without wishing to sound like a politician, can I address some of the comments that have already been brought up? Okay. Uh, because no, they've just. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, first go of ahead. all, it's first. It's really important that we don't mix up other issues with the free school policy issue. So, first of all, you know, the free school policy is not at this stage. I'm sure it could be at some point if government decided to take it down that route, which is a different issue. It is not the privatisation of education. It's still state education. It's state funded. It's just different people providing it. So I think there's a good argument to be had about the privatisation of education, but it's certainly not that. And in terms of the issue of faith schools and an over-representation of them in the free schools approved so far, actually, as I understand it, and I'm sure Alasdair or Jeevan will have the statistics there, between a quarter and a third of kids in most areas are currently already educated in existing faith schools. And if you look at the proportion of free schools that have been approved so far, they're actually no higher a proportion than what we've got already in the existing system. So there is a discussion to be had about whether faith schools are a good or not a good thing. There is a discussion to be had about whether privatisation is a good or a bad thing, but the free schools policy does not necessarily mean those two things are going to be happening. Okay, let's go back to the original question. How do you know the impact that your school will have on the rest of Bedford? I don't think, let's be brutally honest, I don't think anyone knows for sure what the impact of any change in the system will have on those around them. What we do know is, from the Kempton area where we did our research, already 30% of parents whose kids will go to the local upper school choose to try and send their kids elsewhere and are going to great extremes to do that. And when we spoke to them, they said, we would love to have a kind of school that we could send our kids to locally. And so that's the kind of um, demand that we're responding to. Don't you just accelerate the decline of the other schools then? Not necessarily. No, I think there's, you know, success is not a zero-sum game. Just because one school does better absolutely does not mean that other schools have to do worse. I really struggle with that because it suggests that there's a finite amount of talent or ability or inspiration to go around. In fact, I hope that with the free schools policy and with the other policies that we're seeing going on here, particularly, and I agree with Alastair in the McKinsey report, the massive focus on the quality of teaching going on in our schools. I think if we can get all these changes moving together, we really could see an influx of inspirational new people and new approaches to educating our kids, which will hopefully drive up standards across the board, whether you're in a free school, a local authority school, or any other kind of school. You know, most parents don't care what the governance structure is. They just want a good school that's right for their particular child. Mark, the evidence is, is where you have a variety of types of school, you get greater social segregation. The OECD made this point back in 2003. I'm glad you agree with me that we need to focus on teaching and learning, but the trouble is what we're doing here is we're focusing only on structures. Actually, the the discourse in governing bodies up and down the country, they're not talking about teaching and learning. They're talking about whether they have to become an academy because everybody's becoming an academy now. This is damaging the long-term direction of education. We are being sold a political policy, not an education policy, and that's the trouble. I suppose all I would say to respond to that is I'm I'm currently actually sat 
in, um, in an office in Bedford Academy, which was a failing school, or should I say that's not fair, actually. It was a very low-performing school consistently over time. It became an academy a year ago. And the difference is already that this school is seeing because of the different mindset that comes with being an independent state school. Um, it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's difficult to describe and people it's easy to belittle. But it makes a huge difference knowing that this school exists solely and purely to serve the local community. It's not one of many competing priorities for local politicians. And in fact, Alistair, when you visited um, Bedford back in January to take part in a debate organised by our opponents, you came up with a wonderful phrase. You stood up in response to someone's question. You said, I know what your problem is. It's your politicians. And you're absolutely right. Mm. The difference is when people go and vote in local elections, they've got to weigh up a whole bunch of priorities that are important for them. And in any community, the vast majority of people won't have children in the local schools themselves. Mm. They don't have a direct buy-in to those schools. Mm. The key to making schools independent and directly accountable to the parents of school-age ki kids means they've got to respond to what the parents want, not what the other competing priorities are. But if and I can I, I just bring Jeevan in here? Sorry, uh, Jeevan, talk to me a bit about Sweden. Um, let's go back to the source, um, because Michael Gove talks about Sweden as being an inspiration here. But of course, you, you read things in recent days saying that actually they're not too um, enamoured of the system. They think that maybe the gains aren't as great as we're being told. I was speaking to someone this morning who was saying that the Swedes have recently concluded their system is uh, producing now producing more disparities than it ever has done before. Um, I mean, it's a tricky question because um, you know we, we look at sort of Scandinavian countries all the time when we talk about social affairs and try and compare ourselves. I think they're quite different societies. They're much more homogenous than we are. They often tend to start in a less segregated place to begin with. I mean, I mean. Um, both Alistair and Mark are right to say, you know, segregation produces bad results. But um, the UK is, let's face it, a segregated place. We, we started off mm. with this with a welfare state and created in uh, the middle of the Second World War and included all these faith schools in the system. We have a large number of kids going to private schools. So, you know, if, if we're trying to do something to reduce segregation, we should be aware of where, where we're starting from. Um, I mean... I think a better model perhaps than the Scandinavian model is the New York one that um, Gove has become fonder of quoting recently. I think New York is a city that's kind of very similar to London. Um, and there have been some, some beneficial effects of charter schools in New York, which are oh. a similar thing, th similar thing to academies. Across the states, uh, it's patchy though, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, it is. I mean, I think if you look at the place where um, charter schools have done least well, it's Texas. Um, and there has been a sort of failure of regulation there where uh, uh, the Texas state government has done very little to sort of intervene to kind of prevent, to hold schools accountable and to um, deal with kind of school failure. Um, in New York, where schools have been more accountable uh, to, the, to the school chancellor, who's the guy, guy in charge of things, there have been, have been better results. You can quibble about all these things, um, and there are differences. I mean, the main difference with the U.S. is that they, they don't have um, state-funded religious education there because of the separation of church and state in the Constitution. So, again, it's a different place, but, uh, but I, I do think there, there are things to be learned from other countries. Alistair, so you're scoffing a bit. Why? Well... <laughs> There is a lot to learn from other countries, and the one country that no one, no politician wants to mention is Finland, where there isn't a choice of schools, there's no Ofsted. Um, almost every child goes to a local school. I think it's only the sons and daughters of the diplomats and, uh, and people like that who don't. And it has the best standards in the world. Now, I, OK, I agree with you, Jeevan, it's a different sort of society. But I go back to my original point, and I do want to emphasise that this is a form of privatisation. I can't understand why people don't accept this point. If you look at the governance structure of an academy and a free school, which is an academy, it's a privatised model. It, this is a business that's basically created. But also, who are the major players in this movement? EACT, ARC, Harris, these are businesses, CFBT, these are businesses that are moving in. But these they, are not-for-profit. Well, they schools, say they're not-for-profit, they? 
They say they're not for-profit now, but CFBT, for example, is a for-profit education provider everywhere else in the world except Britain. It uses Britain, uses England, actually, not Britain, uses England as a base to build its business to then expand internationally. The, they are making money out of providing services. That's part of what the deal is. And they are growing. And this nonsense that Mark repeats that this is about free schools and academies, about giving parents power... It's more remote under an academy. I mean, it, it's quite clear that the funding agreement means that parents don't have any legal rights whatsoever. The funding agreement is a legal document between the trust and the Secretary of State. The parents have no remedy. So far from giving parents and local teachers, local people power, it's taking it away. It's a privatised model. Um, so I'm, I'm sceptical that this choice model, I'm, I'm particularly sceptical of the New York story, and I'll tell you why. This is Joel Klein, this is News Corp, this is Murdoch and uh, Michael Gove's obsession with the Murdochs that promotes this sort of story. These people have a clear agenda, which is they want to privatise education in the same way they want to privatise the NHS. They see it as a market for business to expand and there's no evidence that this works. There's lots of evidence it makes lots of profits, but there's no evidence that it improves standards for us. We need to focus on teaching and learning. I know you won't necessarily agree with probably most of that, Mark, but uh, do you see a point at any point at which your school might um, be run on a profit motive? I, 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 I'm, I love listening to Alistair. He's a fantastic speaker. I've heard him speak several times now, but I'm just afraid that most of what he's just mentioned is irrelevant to what we're dealing with on the ground right now in terms of the free schools movement. Um, Look at our particular group, look at Sajita Sain up in Bradford, look at a lot of the other groups. These are local people doing a lot of the groundwork, a lot of the donkey work in their own time because they care about the outcome of their local community. So are you against schools that do run on the profit We have no interest in our particular group um, of doing this on a for-profit basis. That's not why we're getting involved. We could all have a much easier life and probably, um, you know, if we are successful in getting jobs in this school that get set up, because remember, I'm going to have to apply for this job like everyone else through an open and transparent process to do that. Um, We could, like I said, be having an easy life all the way along. Um, I just think the whole privatisation, marketisation, profit motive, I think they're, they're just not relevant to what's going on. The so CBI you, keep going on about it then. The CBI, um, the... Yeah, and, and all, they're all in touch, these but that, that might be important it. for them. But like I say, look at the actual evidence of the groups that are pushing these projects now. These are largely bottom-up, community-driven projects. And I think, you know, I can't think of anything more progressive um, coming from the particular background I've got, you know, where I got driven as a kid to see where the toll puddle martyrs gathered and that kind of Mm. stuff. My father was a teacher, my grandmother was a teacher, grew up on the Isle of Dogs. I cannot think of anything more progressive and in the Labour tradition than local communities taking control and setting up schools for their own kids. Jubin, let's just just talk money for a moment, um, because obviously one of the most... One of the clearest impacts um, that a free school could have on its community is sucking away money from the community. If were that to happen, is that happening? Well, uh, like academies, free schools get back the portion of their uh, their cash that uh, the council spends on sort of centralised services. But obviously, they have to then buy in those services themselves. So they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't kind of make a profit. They shouldn't sort of be making more money than other schools. Um, I think there are sort of a couple of questions about free schools, and one of them is about the kind of growth of free schools in future years and where that money comes from for them to grow. And this is where the kind of for-profit argument comes from. If uh, next year we have 80 free schools opening, the year after that we have hundreds opening, then money needs to come from somewhere to build these schools. Uh, money needs to come from somewhere to, to, to kind of fund this expansion. Uh, and if we're creating lots of surplus places, we need kind of more, more money to kind of run that mm-hmm. kind of system. Um, 
it doesn't seem like at the moment for political reasons because of the Lib Dems we're going to have this kind of profit motive coming into schools but it, but it is kind of question that's going to come back after the next election I think um, and it's also the question of how you build these schools and, and Gove is talking about PFI which we know in the long term is a pretty expensive way to, to go about things so I mean, there is a kind of money, money problem down the track. So, Alistair, do you think the state system is being starved? Well, we know the state's been starved. The, the Guardian reported in June that there's a 1,000 jobs disappearing every week in education. We know there's no new money coming in. We know that education spending by 2015 will be at the level it was in the Thatcher era. We're not going to be spending any more money on education, given the economic crisis. No, but there's a so big difference between how much the, we're spending in education the, and how much we're spending in schools. Well, and Mark, I think that's where one of the biggest right. you know, changes will be. More of the education budget will end up on the front line. Well, so we're, told, so we're told. So we're told. Let's see. Let's look at the budget settlements October. When you have state schools who you know, were hit by the building schools for the future mm. fiasco a while ago, there is a pot of money. That pot was reduced this year anyway by the coalition. That's right. If some of it's going to you, then doesn't that inevitably hit schools in look, the state sector? Every it, free school that is built is Mark taking money say. off other state schools. Yeah, let Mark answer. Yeah, no, because um, you know, we've heard that said a lot. I mean, all I know is um, Bedford Borough won an amazing bid settlement, £340 million to build eight secondary schools. They lost that last June or whenever it was. That money was gone already. So, you know, we actually went to the local authority just after BSF was scrapped and we said, look, you've got to be coming up with a post-BSF plan B. Let us be part of that plan B. Let's manage any concerns you may have about massive excess in capacity or having the right kind of schools in the right places. And any money we get will be extra money brought into the local education system. And that has always been our strategy all the way along. In the end, for political reasons, the local authority haven't been able to or didn't feel they could work with us in order to enable that. And that's their call. That's their democratic right to do that. But actually, any money that we bring into Bedford Borough will be additional money that they otherwise wouldn't have got because that policy decision had already been made. I think the problem with this policy is that overall um, it's been kind of executed in a somewhat chaotic fashion. So you get lots of people on, on board this who you wouldn't really want to see involved in this. But I think also you do have some very exciting projects. I think I do think Mark's project in Bedford is very exciting. I agree with him that Sajid Hussain in Bradford, it'd be great to see how that works out. I think, you know, there will be some, some good will come of this. Um, I just kind of ask a question about how it's been managed so far and whether we're going to have a sort of high level of schools that will either fail or just not do very well and, and have a lot of money and attention put into them for, for the wrong reasons really for political there's, reasons there's an important point here as well which i think is going to cause an awful lot of resentments in staff rooms up and down the country is this idea that the free schools are somehow more committed these are dynamic individuals new individuals coming into education well i know countless head teachers countless teachers who's dedicated a lifetime to working in education and we're creating this discourse of difference of we're better than you them and us no, and this and is I, part Mark, of the Mark, Mark, I, was say, I don't think that's fair you, because one of the first you're a committed said, teacher just like we are yeah, but you're not I, any better and this is the trouble one of the first things I said was we have to recognise already the huge number of outstanding organisations, mm. institutions and people that are in our current system the key difference is and I can say this, like I say, sat in a school that's been an academy for, you know, it's one of the old-fashioned converter academies under the previous government, not, um, not one of the new academies, is that under the previous system, I think an awful lot of professionals would say that given their local political circumstances, where success happened, it was in spite of rather than because of the governance setup that they had. And fundamentally, I think, and, you know, it is early days, I don't think anyone can say for sure 
exactly what's going to happen because of the free school thing. I think it is a far more healthy environment to live in in terms of encouraging innovation, rewarding teachers and other professionals in the school for doing their jobs. Stephen Lothwell, to you, this is intensely political. How are we going to know if it's working? I think um, uh, the best judge of schools are parents and what parents want from a school essentially um, is a good teacher who's left alone to kind of run the school as he sees fit and produce the results that they, they, they hope for. So on their results, we'll judge them. And I think, you know, I think some of these schools will do terrifically well. The great thing about what's happened in America with charter schools is that there are kind of public schools kind of borrowing their ideas. And so we could see a future of kind of collaboration and sort of good ideas kind of being passed around the system. That's what I hope for. Okay, well, that's the last word, and that's all for this week. Who knows what the school system will look like in five years' time, but with at least 80 free school applications expected again next year, we can say the landscape will never be the same again. My thanks to Stephen Vassagar, Alistair Smith and Mark Lehane. The producer of this Guardian Focus podcast was Peter Sale. Our reporter for the day was Nathan Akehurst. I'm Hugh Muir. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.